Morning, Watermark. Today's passage is Matthew 6, 24 through 34. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's cold outside. We're excited. Um, cheering for the cold. We love the weather. Okay. Um, okay, so here's how this is going to go. I kind of have two services here, two, two sermons. It's like a two-for-one day today um, because there's... Something that needs to happen at the beginning here in this first part. Notice uh, the first verse, 24, is left over from the previous section. I did that for a reason because you can't just pass over it. There's a lot of context there um, that needs to be understood. And then you move into the second, second section. So first half of the sermon here, not even a half, first third, is going to be uh, about the idea of what it means to, to live for the glory of the Lord or to do things to the glory of the Lord. I used to hear this phrase growing up, um, always kind of wondered, like, can I eat a steak to the glory of the Lord? Can I drive a car? Like, what does this mean? Um, do, does it mean, like, singing a song the whole time or just thinking happy thoughts? What is this? Is this Peter Pan? Um, how does this work? Um, and so I'm going to talk about that, put it in some context, give you that, and then I'm going to talk about the rest of it. And the second half is going to be about worry. Um, and then I guess there's a third part here that's going to be about presence. Um, which Jesus gives you as the sort of the combat to worry. But it all flows together. All right, now, um, I'm going to jump right into this. I'm going to start right here um, in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So this whole thing, you cannot serve two masters. Um, Maybe you read this and you're thinking, well, I mean, I, I have three jobs. And I can do all three jobs fairly well, like I'm working underneath somebody, and, um, and if I hate my boss, it's not because I love the other one. I just, I, I can serve different people at once. Um, that is to misunderstand all of this. Um, and to understand this, I have to do, I have to talk about the thing which gets me the most emails, which is talk about the patriarchy, okay? Um, because in the first century, this was the setting. I, I literally... I talked about it one Sunday, and I got an email from a guy who's like, why do, you, why do you keep talking about patriarchy in the Bible? And I'm like, because it's, if you don't understand that, that that was the culture in which they were living in, they could not imagine this world which we are living in. 
They could not imagine our family units. They could not imagine this. And so I'm going to talk about that now for a second. I'm going to go into some detail, um, but I'm actually, I finished writing an essay recently about this whole subject. I'm going to post it on Facebook to, to sort of open this up bigger for you, for those of you who want to go deeper. And the essay, it's, it's a thousand words. It's going to be about, um, I'll do it tonight or tomorrow. It's going to be about um, um, Roman family structure, um, Jewish life under the Roman Empire, and interaction with Rome and Judaism. And hopefully that will give you more context to help you go deeper in that. I'm going to start doing that more often. Um, so I'll start off by saying this. Here's how most of us assume um, when we, you know, it's the back of a minivan, right? Like you picture, like this is the family. Um, for the last 1,500 years, this has been uh, the majority picture of the family that most people think of when they think of a household. When you think of a household, this is what comes to mind. Um, there's a husband and a wife and there's children. Um, and that is when someone says this household, that household, this is likely the image that is popping into your head. Um, and it has been that for about 1,500 years since the fall of the Roman Empire. Before the fall of the Roman Empire, the household did not look like this. It was vastly different. Um, the household looked like this, and I'm going to need to explain this. Um, to you. This is what's called the familia. When you speak of the household in the Roman Empire, this is what you would think of. Everyone in Jesus' audience would have been a part of a familia. Everyone um, who was a recipient of scriptures, um, everyone in the early church was likely part of a familia, except for certain sects of Judaism who lived differently. Um, So it worked sort of like this. There There was a man called the paterfamilia, he was um, what the whole house centered around, and he would own property and a house, and there would be, um, he had a wife, she was not his equal, she was his property. He could, um, he could divorce her however he, whenever he wanted to, he could, he could legally, legally kill her if he wanted to. Underneath her uh, were her servants, her slaves, um, and these, these women served her, but they were also owned by the paterfamilia. He owned all of them, and he could also do what he wished with them as well. Um, underneath the paterfamilia was his children, born to him by his wife. Um, that was her job, to carry on his name. Um, but she was really the same um, level as everyone else in the household. Um, and so the children, he could also do what he wished with them. He could kill them. He could sell them as slaves, whatever. Um, and then, and underneath, um, underneath him as well would be um, a group of slaves. And all of these people would live in one house together, and they would sort of from the outside appear and function as a family. All of their activities, though, every bit of it, would center around the honor of the paterfamilia, the future of the paterfamilia, his working uh, towards his status in the society. Um, And as he moved up in society, the whole family benefited and moved up in society. So every bit of activity in the house that they were doing, any any work, any uh, dealings, um, any bookkeeping, everything, everything was centered around serving um, the paterfamilia, and it was done for his honor and his glory. Now... um, if the paterfamilia dropped in honor in society, if any of, these, any of the, the servant slaves, the wife, children, anyone in the house dishonored somehow him, um, this was a huge deal. It, it could cost them everything. 
It could cause the whole house to be split apart and everyone to be sold off. Um, it could cause the loss of job property. Um, it would make it, if, if you were ever, if someone, if one of your children went to someone and said, um, my, my dad cursed the empire, even as a joke, or cursed, you know, the senator or the prefect um, or the emperor, um, and that got out, um, nobody in the business, nobody in the entire city would do business with you, nobody would trade with you, any of it. Everything had to be done to build up the image and the honor of the paterfamilia. Um, Anytime someone's honor went down, there was someone else who benefited from that, and their honor went up. And so all of these families, familias, are separated all over Rome, and they're all serving the honor of the pater familia. Okay. This is the Roman um, family structure, the house structure, household structure. This is the only thing that they could picture, really. Um, And when Rome fell, this whole thing kind of fell apart and ended, and uh, households went to being centered around bloodlines. Um, But in this day, when Jesus is speaking, so let's read this together. Um, No one can serve two masters. So you have the word serve. um, The word serve and the word masters. Let's pull this one up. Serve is the word dulain. It means to serve as a slave. Um, The root of the word dulain is the word doulos. And the doulos... um, We'll get there in a second. Okay, so curios is the word masters. Curios, uh, lord, master, paterfamilia, um, this general idea. Um, both of these things are represented in the Roman family. Um, the doulos, the slaves, are here and here, but they're not the only ones who would do, do lane, serve the curios, the lord, the master. Everyone in the whole family would be serving the glory and honor of the paterfamilia. Why? Because their future was tied up in his future. And anything that happened to him happened to them. And if they dishonored him, um, the whole family suffered. Um, however, if they honored him and his, his glory and honor in society grew, it was an honor-based society. People would literally, if you were insulted, you literally would pull out swords and kill each other to preserve your honor because it was all you had. It was the most important thing. Um, and so everyone in the house is serving this. Now, Jesus takes this idea, the Roman family, and he speaks to his audience, almost all of which would probably, they would absolutely have been aware of all of this, what he's talking about. Many of them would actually be a part of a, uh, of a familia. And so he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, uh, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we're going to get to the God and money part in a second. Um, basically, he, he paints it like this. Imagine that you are here and you find yourself sort of straddling the world between two familias. First off, this is impossible. It couldn't happen. He's making an illustration, a metaphor. This is what this would be like, is what he's saying. Imagine you have... Two familias, and both pater familias claim you as their doulos. And your future is tied up in both of them. However, they both have different goals. And for one's goals to succeed, the other's goals have to fail. And for the other's goals to succeed, the other has to fail. They literally are against each other. Um, and what if one of them believed that world peace and, and prosperity and the way that things are made right again was done through force, coercive force, violence, armies, governments, swords, and the other believed um, that it was through service and the cross 
and pouring ourselves out in love and reconciliation of all things. In order for one to succeed, the other has to be destroyed. And in the first century, Jesus rises up and he teaches this other message and he has these disciples and he talks about them as his family. Um, And he talks about a kingdom and this kingdom is against all these other kingdoms and all these people he's speaking to find themselves halfway between two worlds. I can't serve I can't serve the world and the kingdom of God at the same time um, because here's what's going to happen. One of them is going to destroy the other because they're odds. They are at odds with each other and they're heading in different directions. And in the year 37 AD, one paterfamilia killed the other on a cross in Jerusalem. This is how this works. You cannot serve two different lords. Jesus regularly through scriptures is called Lord, Lord, Lord. We are regularly called his children. Paul calls himself a slave of Jesus, a slave of Christ. Um, We are regularly told, by the way, do things to the glory of God. That's what this is. That's what this is all about. When you do something to the glory of God, you realize that your future is tied up in the future of your Lord. And if Jesus is the first fruits, um, then you are following. You will receive what Jesus receives. Resurrection. Life. Um, this, is, this is the context. And hopefully this sheds a little bit of light on this. And so Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, NIV translates it money. Um, some of your translations, maybe even the ESV, the books you have here, are going to translate it as mammon. By the way, I actually I switched to the NIV not too long ago after doing more research, mainly because of stuff like this, because the ESV has been known to sort of tamp down this kind of conversation about patriarchal Roman culture and sort of ignore it. And I think it's vital to the understanding of the Bible. Um, and so Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. The word there is, is that I think probably should be is mammon. Mammon doesn't refer to money. Mammon refers to everything that you own. Um, not just individually, but also collectively. Um, you cannot serve the things that have been given to you to use in the service of our Lord. Um, You cannot strive for them. Um, You are striving to use them for the glory of the Lord, not to build them up and gather them up. Um, And so this is the choice that we are given. Now, so uh, moving forward, I want you to understand that like, so this is the structure of the passage. Jesus sort of is, is speaking into something that people would understand that you and I are, are less connected to, which is the idea of the, the Roman familia. And then he moves forward to says, now, you know who you are. You know your place. Um, in, in the household, there's only one master, and that's all, the only person you answer to. Um, and then uh, he moves forward in the conversation here, verse 25. Therefore, so now that you understand that you have one master, and that's it. Therefore... I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So, okay. Um, This is the part where we talk about worry. Because if, if you are part of a family and you have a Lord who is, his whole job is to make sure that the entire family has what they need to function and achieve what they're working to achieve, okay? Um, and so it is not your job, you individual person, you do loss, uh, who is Dulane, 
to the curios. We're speaking Greek together. Here we go. Um, it is not your job to, to worry about where it, will, where it all will come from. It's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with you at all. Uh, so the word worry here uh, is this word marimnon. Everyone say marimnon. Okay, there you go. Now, uh, if you want to know what an ancient word means in an ancient book, you're going to have to find this ancient word used in other ancient books in lots of different places and read them all and gather uh, some information about how this word was used, and then you can figure out how to best use it in books like scriptures. Um, so I found a couple. Okay, so here's a, this is a, there's a, there's this 3,000 year old, whoa, 3,000 year old letter from a wife to her husband. Um, that has been salvaged. It was written on papyri, which tends to last longer than a lot of the other things like codexes and stuff that people are using. Um, the, the papyri was found in Egypt, and the word is used on this letter. Uh, it probably sent to her husband who was working somewhere in Egypt. Um, and she writes to him, and she says, I cannot sleep at night or by day because of the worry, the merimnon, I have about your welfare. So we have some context of the word and how it's used here. It is like a serious, she's up in the middle of the night worrying about him. Maybe he's a soldier away. Now, we have another one, um, and we only have one side of these conversations, um, but apparently this one is a mother. She received a letter from her son who says he's in good health and he's doing fine. And she writes back to him and says, that is all my prayer and all my anxiety, my merimnon. So, quick question. Have you ever thought to yourself, my worry is brand new, and no one has felt this worry that I feel, and I'm alone in this worry, and nobody knows how I feel. I offer you Exhibit A, 3,000-year-old mother worrying about her husband and mother worrying about her son. 3,000 years old. This is not new. This is the most normal thing for us to worry about what is coming about where it's going to come from, about what would happen if. And sometimes those things happen. And then we learn what happens if. And sometimes we find ourselves um, desperately paralyzed by things that we are worried about happening. Now, um, there's right after this, Jesus says this. He says, can any of you by worrying, add a single hour to your life. Can any of you add a single hour to your life? In fact, um, just the opposite is true. Um, one of the, uh, two of the, of the most widespread diseases in modern life are stomach ulcers and something called coronary thrombosis. I'm a pastor, not a doctor, and I don't know what that is. But um, these two things apparently are the most widespread diseases, and apparently what causes them is worry. So not only... Can worry not fix anything in the future, not make you live longer, literally does the opposite, and literally will help you live shorter. It will remove time from your life. Now, um, I learned a lesson this year. Um, January 1st, I woke up with a terrible headache. I know a lot of you, a lot of you did too. Different reason, though. <laughs> January 1st. Um, Put my kids to bed. I went to, I went to bed at like 8.30. I wasn't messing around. Um, so I went to bed. I woke up January 1st with this terrible headache. It started back here. And over the next few days, it worked its way up to about here. 
um, and it didn't move, and it stayed there. Two or three days later, I'm like, it'll, it'll go away. It just didn't go away. Um, Ten days later, it didn't go away. Fifteen days later, 20 days later, 25 days later, it was worse. It just grew, and it grew, and it was just terrible, terrible pain. I would speak here, and I would go home, and I'd lay it on the bed with my head hanging off the bed and just kind of moan um, and just had no idea what it was. Went to the doctor, tried everything, stuck the needles in my face, all that, nothing. Nothing took it away. Um, and here's what I found. So at this particular time, we found ourselves, me and Sarah found ourselves in this insane sort of moment in history, in our own personal history, where we had a major construction project going on. At the same time, we were moving and living in an incredibly small space with five of us. And at the same time, I had, I had traveled overseas and just come back and jumped back into work. And at the same time, we were refinancing the property we were living in. And... Um, there were stacks of paperwork that were being done and contractors calling, things going wrong and nothing going right, of course. And, and we found ourselves um, interrupting what we had built as this sort of um, foolproof way to keep ourselves healthy. See, we had been living the last few years in this way that I've talked about before. It's sort of this sign-waving thing. We're like, we're on, we're off, we're on, we're off. We work hard and then we, then we rest real hard. Um, and we, we make sure because... Healthy things are things that are on and off. Again, a light bulb that's on too long will just burn out. Um, and we don't want that. And so we would regularly take rest once a week and then every few months, just take time to rest and fill ourselves up, making sure we have what we need um, so that we can do what we need to do. And what we found, we found ourselves suddenly in this time where we had gone three times longer than we normally would without any break, without any rest, and we were just worn out. And I was terrified of all the things that were going wrong everything. And I, what about this? What about that? That's all going to go wrong. And so January 1st, it all just kind of like, there it is. That's what happens. 30-day headache. And so the end of January, I kind of went to bed for like 12 hours, three days in a row. And February 1st, I woke up and it was gone. I was like, now what was all that? And I learned an incredible lesson about myself. You see, um, there's a uh, there's this way we tend to function where when we have like tons and tons of things, tons of steps to go through, and there's lots of them, and like all it takes is for one of these things to fall apart. Like what if people don't like, um, what if people don't like step four? What if there's not enough money for step seven? What if, um, what if step 11 like just all falls apart? What if they find this and the whole thing falls down? Um, and we spend all our time worrying about like the future steps that are coming, uh, they're heading right at us, and we're terrified, and what do we do? I've got so much to do, I'm just going to go to bed, do nothing. Um, and this is, this is what we do. Um, and I'm, I was reminded, worry about all that is useless. It doesn't help the situation. Worrying about what is going to happen on step 32 does nothing for me right now. And so the answer is just to focus on step one. And just, just right here, I have one thing to do today. Today is today. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Literally what Jesus said. Today is today. I will, I will do today's work today. And I will do it to the glory of God. Which means I'm going to do it as a gift. As the gift that it is to receive. I'm going to do it with integrity. I'm going to make sure it is, it is the most loving thing I can do. I'm going to make sure it's good and just and right for all parties involved. I'm going to do it for the honor and glory of the Lord, 
of my Lord, of your Lord. Because the problem is there, there's too many of us making decisions that have to do with the future, and one day we're going to shore up all this stuff, and so today we have to compromise a lot of things. We're not going to work to the glory of God today so that later we can somehow achieve the glory of God. It doesn't work that way. It brings dishonor to the Lord. Today is all there is. Today is all that exists right now, right here. And so I would have, during this time, I would have this recurring dream. This is me dreaming. I have this recurring dream that I write these like notes for myself. Like I'll talk about this. And then I'm just like, I'll just put it in there. Here we go. Um, I had this recurring dream that, that I, I would, the dream would start and I'd be up here. And, and the room was somehow like twice as long so that everybody, like 700 people are gathered at once. Um, and I had nothing to say. And that's the, that was the nightmare. I'm standing there and there's like, <coughs> there's like a cough over here and a throat clearing and a paper shuffling, someone with a pen. I have nothing to say. And that's the thing that kept happening. And I guess, I don't know, psychologically, I'm sure that can be interpreted somehow. Um, it's like the pastor equivalent of like the naked dream people have at work, right? Um, and so the, the things that, that you learn over a long period of time of like, of like going through worries is like, it's all a dream. And oftentimes you're worrying about stuff that's just not happening. 90% of the things you're worried about happening will not happen. And the other 10%, you, you can't stop it from happening. And you will figure it out when you receive it. And you will learn from it. And it will add something to your life. Maybe painful, maybe not. Maybe it's for someone else. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's nothing you can do with it. But you'll receive it. And Christ will still be real and there. And your family and your friends and all of us will still be there. And we will move forward. Stop worrying about crap that ain't happening. Don't wake up in the middle of the night panicking, all that. You know at 3 o'clock the next day in the afternoon when you're eating a sandwich, you're going to be like, that was dumb. <laughs> right? You, that's the reality. And so Jesus calls us from there, all these other places, to here because the kingdom of God is at hand, right, now. Again, it's not a future thing. That's one of the problems that we have with modern theology. It's this thing that's not accessible now, but it actually is. And then Jesus says in verse 26, and I'm going to skip to 28 and 29, uh, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. So we don't usually picture Jesus being pensive, right? Because um, we have these, these doctrines that kind of put Jesus, um, give us this sort of, this view of Jesus that in all likelihood um, probably shouldn't be. This, um, sometimes our, our doctrines of things like omniscience make us think that, well, Jesus knows everything, then he's just, he's not surprised Nothing's really like, wow, beautiful. Because like, I guess if you've seen it all, you've seen it all. Um, and, uh, and so we have these thoughts. Um, Jesus was 100% fully human, 100% fully divine. The humanity needs to be understood. This tells us that Jesus spent time in prayer um, and solace and solitude, spending time in nature and felt the same things you feel when you see something beautiful. He sees a bird flying by, and he ponders it, and he extracts meaning from it. 
You ever, you ever like see something like in just in nature, a natural thing, beautiful, and you're like, what is all of this? I imagine Jesus doing that. And he's pulling meaning from the, the view of the bird flying through the air. And he says, look, that bird, I, I've noticed the, the birds never like, they don't have like a, an agenda and a schedule and a calendar. They don't like store food away. They just go, they just fly and they find their food and they eat it and they go to sleep. Sometimes they bring food back to their nest but they're not worried. They just move through their life. And then he says in verse 28, uh, why do you worry about clothes? Now, this may not likely, in all likelihood, you probably don't worry about clothes. Um, Remember, first century, clothing was part of your wealth. Vast majority of people had one article of clothing, uh, a, uh, a tunic, and then they had a cloak on top of that. When you didn't have clothing, if you, if you were to find yourself without clothing, your honor in society, like we talked about earlier, is, is diminished and gone. It is shameful to be seen naked in the first century. Absolutely shameful. Um, and if you didn't have your clothes on, like if you're walking down the road and you've gone a long time because you didn't have any money, there was no crops this year, there was a bit of a famine, there wasn't enough rain, something went wrong, a bug, a disease on the, on the plants, and you didn't have money to buy new clothes this year, and you're going to try to go another year without buying new clothes or having them made for you, and you're walking and you go by a tree and you catch it and, and the, the tree rips your garment. That's all you have. What do you do? And you find yourself in shame. And your, your, your position in society is utterly diminished, and you're not going to get that back in all likelihood. And so there's this terrible fear. What if I don't have money for clothing this year? And that means I lose everything, my farm, all of it. There are things at play in the Scriptures that you just have no idea, like the word, how fragile society was. And he says, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Now, um, I'm going to get to the Solomon part in a second. Some of your translations, if you're reading ESV or whatever, or NRSV, it, it will likely say lilies of the field. Um, uh, it says, uh, see how the, the flowers or the lilies of the field grow. Um, some of the translators are trying to just get you to picture flowers in general because there's a specific Greek word there that refers to specific types of flowers, and you may not know those, so oftentimes they'll just get the closest thing and say, like, lilies. Um, but these are specific flowers. There's three of them that are included in this word. Um, the first one looks like this, and it's called the autumn crocus. Kind of lily-esque. It's a word, right? Lily-esque? No. Um, okay, moving on. And then uh, there's this other flower that refers to called the gladiolus. Very intricate, beautiful, intricate flowers. Uh, and, there's, and there's one more called the anemone. All of these flowers existed for one day. They, they bloom in the morning, and they exist for most of the day, and then a hot wind, again, comes off the Sea of Galilee and burns it all up, and it's gone. And you picture Jesus sitting in a field, studying these flowers, like, look at this. This thing bloomed today. It will be gone by four this afternoon. And look at the intricate detail of it. How much time, the history of the world, of, of a rock flying through space, have we gone through to get to the place where this is the most beautiful thing that is around right now, all for one day of existence? And he says, he says you're worried about your clothing. I mean, consider the flowers all around you that exist for one day, and they are clothed unlike anything Solomon has ever wear, uh, worn. The, 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 
The exact phrase is, um, they, they, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, I love that he mentioned Solomon. I think this is um, a, a little bit of um, prophetic trash talking, a little bit. I'll, I'll explain. Um, because Solomon writes this book called Ecclesiastes, where he brags about his clothing and his riches. Richest guy in existence at the time, knows everything. Everyone looks to him because he has everything. And he's writing about the meaning of life because apparently he had everything and he figured it all out. Now, um, he also writes a, a, a bunch of things, um, a collection of, of writings that we call the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon writes and he says, consider the ant. Solomon's very rich. He's got everything. He's built lots of things. And he's very wealthy. And he starts to attribute all the wealth to like his own intellect and his hard work. And he says this, he says, consider the ant, thou sluggard. Um, and he says, here, I wrote it down just so I can make sure I get it all right. Um, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at its harvest. And Solomon is known for like talking about all the things human, humanity can build and how much wealth we can gather if we do all these things. And there's some great stuff in Solomon's writing. Um, and Jesus steps in and it's like he reaches through time and puts his finger in the face of Solomon and balances it all out. And he says, I read you, Solomon. I heard what you said about the ant and working hard, and that's great. But you're attributing everything that you have to your work ethic. Have you considered the flower? If, if we're going to do this Jewish rabbinical thing where we draw meaning from what we see in nature, I can do that too. It actually has a particular name. It's called call. Uh, or something like that, where it's just like, if that, then this. So you point at nature, you say, look at this, look at this thing in nature, and if that's true, then this is true. So Solomon does this, consider the ant, does this, um, and then Jesus reaches in and says, is that why you think you're so well-dressed? Tell me, the flower doesn't spin, it doesn't craft anything, yet the flower is dressed in its purple, the same color purple that Solomon would have worn in his royalty. Um, it is, it is dressed unlike anything that you will ever look. It is, it is beautiful. And it only exists for one day. And he, and he brings this whole balance to everything. He says, yeah, if you have something to do, step one, you do it. And you do it to the glory of the Lord. But remember, that is, that is not where our hope rests in. Anything that, that you could pull off with your own hands. Um... That is not what any of this is. All it takes is for, this, for this flower is the hot winds or, or, or a camel to just step on it, and it's gone, yet it's so incredibly beautiful. And then it moves on to the next passage. Uh, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So he says, be present, be obedient, serve the glory and honor of the master. Um, but you, you don't need to worry. You don't need to spend your time panicking and freaking out. Look around you. All of creation is part of this thing that God has built and that God is the Lord of. All of creation is here, and if he's provided for them, of course, of course, there's room for you. There's, there's providence for you. Um, and the last thing it says is, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows um, that you need them. So, 
And Jesus is very careful to say, hey, so, uh, and this is a really important thing to understand. Um, what you're doing today, um, ask yourself the question, does what, you, does what you're doing today, did you choose to do that only because there is a payoff later? Is that the center of everything that you're doing? Or is there something to do today just simply for the, for the, for the fact of being obedient, taking part um, in what God is doing today, uh, serving someone who will never pay you back, pouring out love for someone who will never respond in love? We all know those people. Um, doing something um, that is just for today, something beautiful just for today. Too many of us, myself included, regularly find ourselves, I'm, I'm not even going to do that. Why? It'd be a really great, wonderful, beautiful thing to do. Yeah, but it doesn't, serves no, serves no purpose. It has nothing to do with like, it's not going to, it's not an investment. I'll lose money on it. I'll lose time on it. It's something, what's the point of this whole thing? And Jesus is quick to stress that like, there are things that, that, that are a gift to you to be received today that have nothing to do with tomorrow. Sitting in a field, staring at a bird and looking at flowers very closely apparently can be one of them. And it's not wrong. There is, I found like six or seven different scholars now who, who love to quote this um, rabbinical saying, um, but none of them tell me where it came from. But anyways, it says this. You can Google it, find it, not hard. Um, Barclay mentions it. Keener mentions it. A few others. And it says this. You will stand in judgment not only for the pleasures that you took part in, which you should not have, but also for the pleasures that you were meant to experience but did not. And how many times are our kids begging us to play and we're like, no, no, I'm busy working for the future there and there. And, and yes, you're working for this future. Or sometimes we're just taking part in things that we ought not to get the pleasure out of them. Um, but there's all these things that God has given us to take pleasure in, which we just don't. He says, well, you're going you're gonna to stand before your father one day. You're the Lord. You're going to stand there. He'd be like, look, I put all these things there for you to enjoy. What is wrong with you? Why wouldn't you enjoy them? In fact, there is this passage in scriptures. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to it here. Hold on. Um, there is this passage in scriptures. It's in Ecclesiastes. Um, and it's one of my favorites. I've read it here before. I read it sometimes at weddings. Um, and I read it from a, t- a particular version, uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's called The Message. His translation of that book is insanely beautiful. And you should read it. And there's this moment where there's sort of this, like, this climax of, of the language um, where it's like, look, it's all going to burn. It's all going to fade away. Like, why? What are we doing here? And then it's like he wakes up and says, he says, love God, love people around you. And then he points to the gifts all around us. And he says this, this is the best. Seize life, eat bread with gusto and drink wine with a robust heart. Oh yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. Relish life with the spouse that you love each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it. And heartily, this is your last and only chance at it. Yes. Today, that might, today might be the only, the only chance you get to do the thing that you're doing. And so you do it to the glory of the Lord. And you make sure it is the most beautiful thing that you can do. And you make sure that it has meaning and purpose and, and it is part, you're seeking the kingdom of God first. Because the, the, the previous, I skipped over it, I'm going to back up to it. The, the previous 
um, verse, the last verse says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Look, if you're just seeking the pleasures of the world and not the kingdom, you're going to lose both. But if you seek the kingdom of God, which is at hand now to be received, if you seek the kingdom of God instead of the pleasures of the world, you will receive both. You will receive both. That is, that is what we are given. That is what all this is about. Right now is what you have. Right now is what exists. Tomorrow's worries will have worries of their own, and they will spawn more worries after that. Um, so you don't need to worry about them yet. You can worry about them tomorrow. And tomorrow's always tomorrow. Right now, we are joyful. We are thankful. We are receiving the good things. Um, life is a gift. Life is not a test from God. You are not born losing a game that you somehow need to figure out how to win. Life is a gift from God. It's a gift to be received and celebrated and lived well. Um, we're going to take communion, which is a symbol of how life is lived well. Our communion servers, you guys can, you guys can uh, uh, take the elements and spread around the room. What Jesus exhibited on the cross through his death, his burial, and his resurrection following this incredible life um, is a picture of how this works and how we find wholeness and healing. It's uh, pouring ourselves out for others. You've got one life to live. Pour it out for those around you so they can find healing. Allow it to be broken. Allow it to be poured out. Follow Jesus in that way. Um, the only reason that, that we find our salvation and our healing and our wholeness is because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of the work um, that he did, his guiding of, uh, of, of these disciples and, and teaching them what all this is about and sending them out to plant these churches. We are a family. We are here to take part in the good things of life. Um, right now, we're going to spend some time taking communion. I'm sending this out on a high note, not a low one. Um, I want you to take some time. I want you to ponder the Lord, what it means to do something to the glory of the Lord. I want you to ponder what it means to be part of this. All of us together equals under uh, the Lord working for his glory and his honor. Our future, our joy, our blessing, it's all tied up in the honor and the glory of the Father. It's all connected. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Fill us up. Give us perspective. Remind us how precious life is. Pain, suffering, death, all of it. It is, it is a tuning fork to remind us that life is short. Life is a gift. Life is beautiful. Teach us what it means to, to live and dwell in the kingdom to pronounce the good news of our Lord. Help us to take part in, uh, in all that you have for us, forsaking the things that the world are call- is, is calling us to. We love you. Amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.